Dead on arrival. That's what the second ranking Republican said about President Biden's request that Congress pass a three month suspension of the federal gas tax. Everyone knows prices at the pump are outrageously high. But what happens to gas prices if the president fails to get his fellow lawmakers to move on his request? Are prices headed even higher? Hi, everyone. I'm Veronica Dudo and welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell. To answer these questions, let's bring in the traders, Tobin Smith, Todd Schoenberger, Justin Wine, and joining us for this segment, senior oil and gas equity analyst from Bloomberg, Fernando Valley. Okay, Fernando, gas prices did manage to slip below $5 per gallon this week, but do you think further declines are in store or should we brace ourselves for more pain at the pump? Great to be here. I think that that is a question of whether we're heading into a recession or if we're not. Uh, the supply and demand balance remains really favorable towards the refiners and the oil and gas companies. We don't have enough crude oil supply. Uh, we don't have enough refining capacity, especially in North America and Europe, uh, to meet the current level of demand. Um, now, if we see a significant drop in demand because you know the, the Fed rate, rate hikes, inflation are impacting consumers, et cetera, then we could see uh, that come into closer balance. But that means uh, that's still a significant pain left for the consumer in the next couple of months. But Todd, we're heading into the peak driving season. Do you think that there would be any way that demand would drop? No, not at all. And we haven't seen that yet. You would expect to see demand destruction, but Americans haven't curbed any of their spending right now. I mean, maybe they have it at the Targets and Walmarts, but not when it comes to driving. Actually, AAA is is actually saying that we are going to have a record number of travelers coming out and driving on the 4th of July weekend. And with that, with more people driving, as well as a potential hurricane, remember, guys, we are just getting into this hurricane season. Yeah. Once you start hearing about a Cat 4 or Cat 5 going into the Gulf of Mexico, you're going to really see prices at the pump go higher. So I'm not exactly sure there can be very much done here out of Washington. Now, Toby, we're even seeing opposition within the Democratic Party over uh, this proposal. Do you think it's just a Band-Aid? Well, not only is it a Band-Aid, it's like a Make-A-Wish Foundation deal. <laughs> uh, the, the idea, uh, again, I'm just about macro and microeconomics, okay? If you cut the price of gasoline, more will be used at a time where we have an extremely tight supply, which will make the price go up. I mean, it was about as silly as Gavin Newsom was going to send out a dollar or like $100 of gas <laughs> cards to every Californian, which would only make the price go up. Right. Um, I, I, I don't know where, you know, again, I know how desperate politically Biden is and how this is a, you know, a political type stunt. And hey, you know, we have politics. It's because symbolic. Because we don't have politics. Yeah, if we don't have politics, then we go shoot each other, okay? So I understand this, you know, intellectually, but actually economically, it's the complete reverse. And yeah. demand destruction, to Todd's point, uh, is coming down in the sense that what people are doing now is they're buying, if they need to go 60 miles, they're buying 60 miles of gas, maybe 70. As a, and then they're going out, and when they have to come back, they buy it again. So it's the, the transactions are going up, but the actual gallons going out there are not. And then, and then Fernando's got the whole thing right. We're down 25 refiners around the world. We're down 
a bunch of refineries that closed yeah. after the pandemic. And Fernando yeah. knows better than anybody. Dude, it's hard to open up a refinery. That's it the is, most complex it is. thing and, in the world. You know, and back back to your politics side of it, too. You know, the president is trying to find he's looking everywhere to try to bring prices down, except increase productivity. So you don't see that production. You don't see any more drillers that are going there. I know it takes time, but it would be really yeah. nice. That would be symbolic if he actually let let us uh, start drilling a little bit more than we uh, than he he shut down. So, Fernando, we also saw the president mock the oil companies and, and Chevron pushed back a bit. Is that the best way to be handling the situation? <laughs> I mean, uh, I think as Todd and Tony were saying, it's very difficult to, to, to fix it in the short term. And even if you gave a federal tax holiday, that's less than 5% of the uh, pump prices for consumers. So it's very nominal. It's not really a concrete step towards uh, solving the, the, the issues. Uh, the refining uh, industry in particular is very difficult for you to change in the short term. It takes 15 to 20 years to get payback on refineries. Uh, we did the analysis yep. for one of the refineries that's getting rebuilt now after it exploded a few years back. Uh, that one at current margins, current 40-year high margins would take over eight years for it to get payback. So imagine a brand new refinery and assuming that we come back to earth because that's ultimately the point of adding capacity. That would be a really long time. And uh, the administration has said repeatedly that they want to phase out oil and gas by the next 10, 15 years, which we're seeing is going to be a lot more difficult to actually accomplish than, uh, than to, was hoped. Now, Justin, on that point, we do know that this is a very pro-green uh, administration. Are you reshuffling your portfolio, or what's the, the long-term thinking of this? Well, I, I think the writing has been on the wall for a number of months now, and we are definitely long energy and longer than the S&P allocation would normally dictate. I, I think the writing's, writing's on the wall that the president has no appetite to even engage big energy. They were in his White House just this week, and he couldn't be bothered to stop by for five minutes to say, hey, hey, big energy, what's up? Let's try to address this a little bit and right. put it together. So Todd, what did you you know, on, on weakness, I'm, I'm absolutely pressing my bets. And for clients that don't already own five, six, eight percent energy, we're, we're still buying. Todd, what did you make of that? The energy secretary met in the morning with the uh, oil and gas executives and then in the afternoon the president met with wind and power so yeah isn't that, that great well we got to get some of these executives on the show with us i would love to know what they were talking about especially now that you have the president saying look we want you to actually start pr producing more oil or more gasoline but you're also going to be out of business in five years so not a good statement <laughs> especially if you're working for those companies i do have a question for fernando though since he is the oil and gas he's an equity analyst at bloomberg i would like to know when you start getting that type of rhetoric out of the white house and you can only anticipate a windfall profits tax going to come down the pike, especially as we uh, go into uh, closer to the midterm elections, would be would now be the right time, even though as great as energy is, should you be an investor with those big oil companies? Well, I think windfall taxes, uh, even if you look at what the UK is doing, they're very hard to actually accomplish. And okay. uh, they right. started putting all sorts of caveats. And when you look at the U.S. and the, the regulatory and legal framework here, it'll be very difficult for them to actually get something through. Um, I think the sector is still generating significant free cash flow. Uh, I, I'm much more worried about the Fed engineering a recession than I am about a windfall tax per se. Uh, but the supply picture doesn't change and it won't change in the next five years. The truth is we've underinvested since 2014, which is the original oil price crash of this cycle. 
and we haven't put in enough capital to meet uh, demand at the current levels. And we haven't been growing that fast. Uh, the biggest issue would be emerging markets really taking a, a backseat. They've been the driver of growth over the last 15 years. Uh, but even then, I think when you look into a longer term horizon, if you're looking the next five to 10 years, uh, we are well undersupplied. OPEC has an issue growing capacity. Uh, they're well underperforming their allocations. And I don't expect that will change in the next five years. Uh, they'll have some marginal growth, but everywhere else in the world, we're seeing declines. Even U.S. shale, I was yeah. talking to Justin about this before the show. Uh, we tapped out a lot of the high quality inventory. So the ability to grow at the same pace that we did from 2012 to 2018 is long gone. We're not going to be at 18 million barrels a day in the U.S. anymore. That, that hope has faded a long time ago. So I think the supply side still looks very bleak. Uh, and so I would think that uh, long term, the energy will, will grow as a percentage of the S&P. All right. Excellent conversation, gentlemen. And thank you, Fernando, for joining us That's today. Lovely. We hope to see you soon. Coming up next, the bulls were back this week on Wall Street as stocks snapped a three-week losing streak. Is this the start of a summer rally? We discuss after the break. Stocks finally showed some stability this week and moved higher in what has been a rough first half of the year on Wall Street. Is now the time to buy? To help us answer this question, we're bringing in Nicole Middendorf of Prosper Well Financial. Nicole, what are you telling your clients? To not panic. <laughs> and really, it doesn't mean just because we've had a great market that you go and run and you buy. You know, generally when people... How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. People are the average consumer, the average investor is panicking. That's what you don't want to do. And so the important thing is to buy low and sell high. And there's going to be plenty of opportunity here. It's not like the market's going to go crazy up. There's going to be plenty of opportunity to get in. And you don't just want to buy to buy. You want to find some great investments and great stocks that you like and dollar cost average into them. So hold on for the ride. Toby, we do know that we're going to get some uh, quarter two info next week. What do you anticipate is going to happen, and how will that affect Wall Street? Well, I mean, first off, let's just make sure everybody understands. The stock market is not the real economy. The stock market is the stock market made of a bunch of constituencies. One of those constituencies in the last couple of days said, dude, I think we hit a bottom. Bye, 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 right? And so, you know, we had what's known as short covering because people who are betting against the market, if you look at the stocks that went up the most in the last two to three days, they're all the stocks that have been down the most. So, so a short covering rally is perfect with a bear market. I've done now three of these bear markets. That's why my hair is this color. Um, the other <laughs> issue is, Only is that- Only three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's absolutely right that what we're doing 
is we set the 50-week moving average. In other words, the price moving average at over a 50-week period. And that's our base case in a bear market where we start to nibble on what, on what sectors and what stocks that we love. Now, usually in a bear market, there will be some bad news that could be coming out in the next two weeks, particularly with big guidance down, with missing numbers. We're at about a 15 to 16 price earnings ratio right now in the S&P, but that assumes that we have about $250 of earnings per share on the S&P. If that comes down, remember in a bear market, the first thing that comes down is the multiple. So we brought the multiple down. Now we have to look at the E. And if the E the earnings are going south, that means the price yeah. earnings go higher and we have more pain. So that's why we would do it over the next th three to six months at these 50 and 200 day, and then you'll love yourself in, in two years and thank me, not Todd. <laughs> so Todd, do you think we're going to see a profits recession next week following this rally? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, if you haven't sold on to, into this week's strength, you're a fool. And uh, and it's this is a gift. I mean, you're going into the end of the quarter. There's probably light volume. It is strong conviction though across the uh, across the uh, the broader uh, averages because even bonds are down today. But uh, and that's wonderful to hear. But realistically, going forward, especially going into next quarter, I mean, one of the biggest reports is coming out next Wednesday is the GDP number, and that's all eyes are going to be on that from Wall Street and Washington. They want to know where we. So going into that, and then you have the jobs report the following Friday. Yeah, I would have to suspect that now would be a great time to be selling, especially with the Dow up over 800 points a day. If you haven't sold yet, maybe you would think of it on Monday. But for the rest of this year, guys, you want to stay away from stocks. You want to start thinking about cash and holding on to that. And if you can get any leverage out of that, good luck to you. But that's the way you should go. Justin, jump in here. Well, I, I want to suggest that given by my haircut, I've been doing this for 40 or 50 years, and I've been through four or five ah. of these right now. Wow. We, we, we have to remember that there are tremendous bear market rallies that happen in these kinds of economic yes. time periods. And looking back into 2000, the market was down 45 and 51% from highs, met with rallies of 18 and 24% before we lost yep ton of money down 56% at the end of the year. So we're just six months into this. I want you to be patient. Let's sell these rallies. Let's keep our dry, dry powder and let's buy some weakness. I, th I think that if we see 3,500, 3,400 on its way to 3,200, we should be big buyers. But as, uh, as Toby said, this is a gift. We should be lightening up and selling the strength. So we're hearing so many conflicting reports of people saying we are in a recession, a recession is coming, a recession is not coming until 2024. Nicole, what are your thoughts? I was just at a meeting with a bunch of economists and everyone was extremely positive that it's not going to be a recession, that we've never had a third year term of a president historically with a recession. Who are these economists? <laughs> That's what I like to know. And were they drinking at the time? But Nicole, um, I'm not Nicole, sure. <laughs> But Nicole, we've never had, we've never had the only uh, eight percent, excuse me, eight point three percent inflation. We've never not had a recession because the only way you get eight point three percent recession down is to smother the economy. Number two, we've never had high inflation come down unless the Fed took their Fed funds rate higher than the inflation rate. Never ever. So I mean, this is not a run-of-the-mill bear market because we had twelve years. Of, of in, in, in technology, 
annual gains in a stock market that's first since 1958, almost when I was born, that the uh, market goes up about 10 percent. So we're, we're in the give back section. We had a gift for 12 years and now that's getting unwound. And you're telling me no recession. I, I don't buy it. And, and all the data I get, including the Atlanta Fed next week, is going to show that we're two yeah. quarters in negative uh, uh, growth. They weren't saying Don't this want to be year. A they were bad saying news. the recession. Okay. They were saying the recession wouldn't happen this year. That it would be into next okay, year. Okay, I'll go that. So, our, yeah, yeah. That so uh, you know, do I believe that we're going into one? Yes. I mean, I was in, with a bunch of CEOs yesterday, and the concern is these costs of salaries and how much it is to employ people, and all of a sudden, how that is going to change because the CEOs are thinking about how who do they lay off and when are they laying off people. Yeah. So we are seeing yeah, some layoffs, fun. especially in the tech sector. Then I just saw a report saying that job offers are being rescinded, and so that's certainly not a good sign. Todd, your thoughts? Yeah, that's not good at all. And I have to suspect that with that, and you're going to have uh, not just the jobs things, but also the layoffs are starting to continue. We just heard it out of Netflix. You're hearing it from some other companies. And I think once you start seeing those numbers go up, that's not a good metric for the future. So definitely stay away from stocks and also be cautious about this economy. It's going to get really ugly. All right. Informative conversation, everyone. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell was on Capitol Hill this week giving Congress dire warnings about the economy. What exactly did he say? Stay tuned after the break to find out. Jerome Powell appeared before Congress for his regular grill on the Hill this week and said higher interest rates could cause a recession. Toby, do you agree? Well, that is shocking. Veronica, that's just shocking. He must have a Ph.D. in, in uh, macroeconomics. Come on, man. I mean, remember, they, they were the ones who made this inflation 10 times worse than it needed to be. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a DC watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? He's now got religion. He's now coming to grips with the fact that, as I said before, there's no time in the history of the American economy that the Federal Reserve could have 8.3% inflation and another big inflation print next week and not have to take their rate above that rate. Because what we have in inflation is known as a supply and demand problem. We have more demand than we have supply. In order to bring inflation down, we learned this in the 70s and the early 80s when I was selling treasury bonds, paying 16%, by the way, that you can't break inflation until you break the mindset that everything's going to be more expensive next month. And you can't break it until you get these rates to the point where about 15% of the people who are going to buy a new home, a new car, anything that they finance, don't do that. The multiplier effect is what brings down demand. And we're just chewing around the margins if you think that, oh, gosh, a 3% Fed funds rate is going to change 8% inflation. It's not mathematically possible. He just can't True. tell the Congress or the people right. the actual truth. 
So, right, but here's the thing. No, here's the thing. You had a, the biggest interest rate increase in 30 years. And the Fed, yeah. and he has been very transparent. I mean, give Chairman Powell some credit here. He has actually said, look, we need to, ra we need to raise rates. He's talking about the potential recession because of r rate increases. But this is going to continue. I mean, now there's talk out of Wall Street that we were thinking September was going to be the final meeting with the final rate hike. Now they're looking at December being, we're going to have rate hikes for the rest of the year. And then you're going to start hearing hearing the whispers. You're going to start hearing about people that are going to say, yeah, the Fed is actually going to raise rates all the way into 2023. Can you imagine this, guys, if that's the case? You're going to have mortgage rates closer to 10% and unemployment well into double digits by then. It's going to get really, really bad if that's the case, because I know he's being force-fed to try to bring down this inflation rate. Justin, the, um, Chairman Powell had said that his uh, soft landing is going to be challenging. What's your reaction to his testimony? <laughs> Well, uh, assuredly, it's going to be an impossible task, and he may just pull it off. And that's because in addition to the dual mandate of price stability and maximum employment, I think there's a very unhealthy relationship today between the Fed and the market. And if the market starts to demonstrate weakness, 25, 30, 40 percent, they may just have to back off a little bit. And, and in a very rare criticism, former pre, uh, Fed President Bernanke criticized the existing Fed. That's a huge no-no for retiring governors. He said that they, they blew it and they waited too long. And the truth is, is that they did. And now they do have to slam the brakes in the economy. A soft landing will be very difficult, but they may be forced to back off if uh, the economy really starts to melt down. Nicole, what are your thoughts? Well, I was talking with a mortgage broker yesterday that was uh, pointing out the amount of foreclosures and how that number has dramatically gone up and no one's talking about yep. it. And really, right. I mean, if, if rates go up again, I, I bought a home last year. I took out a 15-year mortgage because the mortgage broker told me you have to do this because the money is so cheap. Two, yes. A little over 2% was my rate. Wow. Um, if you do a 15-year mortgage today, it's 5.13% on average. I mean, wow. that's a huge difference if I would have purchased my home this year versus last year. So, Nicole, I saw that the, the delinquencies are just about 2.8% right now. It doesn't, doesn't foretell a giant problem right now. No, not right now. But what he was saying is, is in the future, he said that all of a sudden things have just halted completely. And I mean, I'm in Minneapolis. We have lots of clients in Florida and both markets here you know, realtors are like, hey, there's no inventory, there's no homes. And yeah. people are not out buying and looking for homes. They're not refinancing. Gas prices are high. People are scared. They're concerned about a recession. Doom and so gloom. that, yeah, doom and gloom, that huge, well, you know, supply issue is is not as what it used to be. But Toby, isn't this kind well, of just, what the Fed wants and, and talking about the tools in, you know, their toolbox of what they're trying to do, they really want to rein in inflation. And obviously that's going to have negative impacts on a lot of other things. I mean, do you think that's what we're yes, seeing? Yes, remember, yeah, their tools are only interest rates and cash money, right? So they put $3 trillion or $6 trillion into the uh, our economy over that period from 2014 through the pandemic, and actually until this <laughs> month ago. Um, now they're pulling that out. When, they, when they're pulling that out, which means that, the, that those mortgage bonds, they became the primary buyer of U.S. Treasuries and mortgage bonds in the world. That's called the marginal buyer. They were price insensitive. They bought whatever was available. Now they're the marginal seller, which means that other people on the other side of the trade have to say, now, wait a minute, do I want to you know, pay that much or are I waiting for the prices to come, come down, essentially uh, well, yields and, to come down? And they're also the marginal uh, loser, prices, losing yeah. a half a trillion dollars. 
Absolutely. So, so now, now we're in the spiral, and maybe because we're also bearish, that's probably the sign that we should be bullish. But the, <laughs> but the, the stuff is starting to hit the fan, and you have to put down um, almost forty percent more cash to buy the same home that you could have two years. Your mortgage rate, instead of for a four hundred thousand dollar loan of twelve hundred dollars, is now nineteen hundred dollars, and that's plus property tax, etc. That's the next shoe to fall, guys. There's no question about yeah. it. All right, you heard it here first. down payment. <laughs> yes. Okay, great discussion. Coming up, the traders get ready to debate a topic near and dear to all Americans. What is it? Come back after the break to find out. Americans could be on the verge of a housing crisis that rivals 2008. How bad do you think it will get, Justin? Well, it's, it's a great question. I don't think that it's going to get too bad as a short answer. Uh, certainly things have worsened, but today there is a record tappable home equity of $11 trillion available to consumers. That's up a whopping 34% just in the last year. So the corollary. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction. That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read. Is that 13, uh, 13 million adjustable rate loans were on the market in 2007. Today, there's just two and a half million. And as far as yeah. resets upcoming, today there's just 1.4 million versus the 10 in 2007. So back then, people put 3 or 4% of their money down. They had adjustable rate loans. And the rates doubled from 4% to 8% doubling payments. Today, we don't see that happening. So I think the biggest risk right now is affordability and recession and the strong rental market. Um, it is becoming unaffordable to live in a lot of markets, and that might be the biggest risk to the housing market as, as we see it. Toby, how do you see it? Well, J Justin has it right on. I mean, I would just add a couple other things. Obviously, uh, back in 2000, 2007 or 2005, the, the running joke was that you could go to a strip club in Vegas and the, and the girls would tell you, show you their portfolio of homes they bought with a dollar down. I mean, it was we were literally, if you could fog a window or a mirror, you would, hey, you have a home, right? So that went away. Then the whole idea that you actually have to put cash down, that now is, is, is so we have a much more secure. The bigger issue is when we get to this point where we're actually getting um, layoffs and people who just bought the home, you know, six months ago, 12 months ago, and when they go to sell, based on the data today, unless they're in a very small, you know, really, really happening section of the United States, they would sell for less. We just had this in, in Phoenix and Scottsdale, where I am, where, you know, everything is $2 million, $5 million, $10 million, right? Somebody who bought a $2.5 million at $700 a square foot, by the way, house, uh, had some financial losses, et cetera, just sold it for $1.6. He lost a half a million dollars in six months. Um, now, that's at the high end, but you multiply it at the lower end. It's when people get laid off. They can't pay that mortgage payment. Um, that's when you start to see prices drop. And then equity values come down. And that sucks liquidity and, you know, the, the, the ability to get a, right. a, a, a HELOC loan out. So we're not there yet. 
but we're starting to see the froth already come off and yeah. then to have to put twice as much down and have to pay twice as much in interest that's I, at least put a ceiling you know what though I, I got to yeah. tell you guys, I mean, the whole conversation about, you know, yeah, we might not be back in the 2008 uh, situation. I think you're absolutely wrong. I definitely see it. I see so many people How? that went in and bought these houses. Look, Nicole just talked about it. She just bought a house. Now, she was fortunate to buy it. But you know how many Americans were mm -hmm. out thinking that they had to buy a house earlier this year? Think about where they are. They're at the top of the market. That equity is being evaporated by the second right now. That's true. So when, so when you start thinking about going down the line, I have to suspect, and we saw some big-time home sales metrics coming out at the beginning of the year. This is going to be really impactful. Down might not happen right away, but we will see something maybe by 2024. I think this is going to be a, a, a metric that we're going to look at back now, and we're going to say, God, we wish we would have probably did this and that with housing and maybe save some of these, uh, save some of these mortgage companies. Nicole, is the housing market high risk? I think so. Absolutely. I mean, I own a commercial building. I own a residential home and my commercial building still is empty <laughs> as well. Part of it. It's I mean, it's a tough real estate market all across the board. And I agree. I mean, it's going to get worse. I don't think it's going to get as bad as 2008. But you have the average American that is thinking a little bit differently because of the pandemic. They're changing how they're earning money, where they're earning money. Many people went out and bought boats and are really just having this, in my opinion, a laissez-faire attitude about life. And now they're yes. having higher gas prices and mm. they went out and bought that house or did the remodel that they've always wanted to do because yeah. of the pandemic. And now all of a sudden interest rates are higher and they're already at a yep. crunch and then they get laid off. It's just going to get worse. I'll, I'll yeah. suggest that I think the sector is uninvestable. When, when we have yeah. a, a record shortfall of housing supply, and lumber and all the input costs are higher, and those margins are going to get continually squeezed. Yeah, uh, they're down forty percent. So it just feels incongruous, and I don't want to be a part of it. I'll tell you one place you want to stay away from. Link. Think of those luxury home builders. Think of a company like Toll Brothers. You know, Simple's T O L. That's a company you definitely want to stay away from. I can definitely see them being the leader, the loss leader in that industry. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, let's not also forget, remember that when, when a home builder, a, a large one at least, I mean, that do more than 100 homes, they sell the homes in advance. They don't build the 100 homes. They have three models and they have land and they build. So the, the ones that have already pre-sold homes and the mortgages are already fixed and the down payments already been made, those home builders are actually going to benefit because, Todd, I don't know if you follow lumber prices, but they're actually down 40% in the last four months. Because guess what? Nobody's building houses. So we have a little window here, but I'm with you that the stocks are uninvestable at this point. And um, uh, if you're at home and you want to buy a home tomorrow at the high price, wait six, seven, eight weeks, 10 weeks, the prices will be lower. All right. Informative discussion, everyone. And thank you, Nicole, for joining us today. We can't wait to have you back on Buy, Hold, Sell. After the break, the traders open up about Wall Street's newest fad, meme stocks. Welcome back. Cosmetics giant Revlon filed for bankruptcy protection last week and in a twisted reaction has soared well past its 52-week high in what many are calling Wall Street's newest meme stock. Toby, for people who are watching and may not know, what is a meme stock? Well, well, a meme stock, you have to go back to social media and you have to go back to, you know, January 20 and January 2021 when... Um 
Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. People on, on Reddit and on stock tips and Yahoo and Twitter all decided that if there was a stock that had a, a huge short position, meaning that a whole bunch of hedge funds had bet against it, you could uh, rally a whole troop literally of 10,000 people to buy their stock you know, on their phone, on their Robinhood account, and that stock would go up parabolic because as uh, when you short a stock as a hedge fund, trust me, you have to borrow money to do it. And when you borrow money and all of a sudden it goes up 50%, then the uh, cashier at the brokerage firm calls you and says, Toby, you need to put another $20 million in uh, to get over it. So you Is that Justin so calling you? A, yeah, it becomes a perfect circle. So we had three hedge funds, and one, a, a $25 billion hedge fund that went broke in 60 days because the, these guys attacked it. So it's basically a social media by, uh, you know, with, with market orders, not limit orders, and it works for as long as it works. And then you shirt the hell out of that stock because those guys run out of money. <laughs> That's right. Well, listen, so on that Revlon talk, you know, Revlon, yeah. the, the story for, for all the viewers out there, the company files for bankruptcy, and it really wasn't a front-page news story because it's Revlon. It's been around for 90 years. You could still go to a, a Target or a Walmart and buy the Revlon product. But the stock, after it filed for bankruptcy protection, Chapter 11, the stock shoots up 91% the very next day. And guess what? The day after that, it's up another 50%. So everybody is definitely trying to front-run this thing. The stock was up another 10% today, but actually crossed closer to $9 a share. It closed sub $8, eight hours a share right now. But you have a lot of people, a lot of sucker money in there. That's what I call these meme stocks where you have these message boards and they're saying buy this stock. You got a lot of suckers that will actually buy it, and then they're going to be the last ones because they're going to be the losers in the, in the race. Justin, does this make you nervous? Do you think meme stocks are a fad, or are they here to stay? Oh, I have so many thoughts on the topic, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> this is just absolute absurdity trading on the idea of the greater fool theory. And and all right. these home gamers yeah. are, are, are trying to be hedge fund traders, mm. trying to understand the, 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 the balance sheets of these companies. The debt is trading for 10 to 30 cents on the dollar. And if we don't know what that means, it means that the equity will be worthless. There's nothing here. So if you think you can participate in this game, you think that there'll be a rescue plan. If you think... Yeah. A million things could go, you know, I don't know, a thousand percent more correctly than they possibly could, then by all means jump in. But I tried to short the stock and I couldn't even get a borrow on it. So yeah. I, I think this is this is it's just a, a waste of time. I don't know. I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, but you know what's funny about and Toby, I let me jump in here real quick because the yeah. one thing about these meme stocks is that they usually get pop culture to actually jump in and start talking about it. I mean, not only <laughs> here we are, we're talking about Wall Street and money and monetary policy, et cetera, et cetera. But when you start looking at Revlon, they were actually profiled in Entertainment Tonight about their stock. Think about that. Then you get every one of these these people, you know, they love the glossy 
magazines and all, they're the ones that are actually investing in this, and then they, they're left to hold in the bag when, when the real investors get out. Right, Let me Todd, make one positive Todd, comment. Remember? Ron Perlman's a very smart guy, and he owns 85% of the outstanding shares. So it is possible he could engineer a rescue plan here in his own self-interest. But yeah. um, Justin, you know, is he again, behind this? Oh, yeah, it's good a question. <laughs> no, 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 he's not. He's, he's ahead, an Toby. insider. He can't do that. He can't do oh, that. Oh, but, sure, sure. No, no, he's but not, his he's cousin not, posted something on Twitter about it. <laughs> yeah, no. but re just remember this. Um, th there was 42 million new brokerage accounts opened in after the stimmy check started coming. That is what launched memes, stocks. It's all social media. It's TikTok, because that's where you really want to get your investment advice is TikTok. And the whole deal is, uh, is because of the power of social media. If you have 100,000 people putting a market order in to buy Revlon, that yeah. stock is going to go up 50 to 80% until all the, the, those orders run out. If you want to play the game, it's a day-to-day -day game, and you play the options. You don't buy the stock. You buy an option, and that's where you make a huge gain or you lose a little bit of money. The other side of that is because there's options are so involved in this, when there's a lot of people buying options, the prices go up because the, the people who make the options have to buy more stock. I mean, it's just it's just a crazy little quirk. About about 22 yeah. million of those accounts have already been closed at zero, meaning that half of those people have lost all the money they put in yeah. playing this game. And if you want to play the game, play the game. But you're not investing. You know, you're speculating you, on crack. You know what? I'm going to give you some breaking news here, guys. If I'm an investor and I do not own Revlon stock, but I would buy Revlon stock. If you ever, you always see they're always off the shelves. I'm guessing they're always selling out of their product or maybe they're just not filling them up. But that's one company I definitely would consider for a portfolio. Well, I want to get Todd, what are you doing in the makeup pile? I'm, I'm confused. I'm very confused. <laughs> Look at this. I got I need to. I need to make up for TV. Well, it is an iconic brand, that's for sure. Awesome discussion, guys. Coming up next, let's make some money. Predictions, let's make some money. All right, Todd, what's your buy, hold, sell this week? Well, now that we have our friend Justin Wine on the show today, I have to say I'm going to buy Twitter. I know I know how he feels about it, but here's why. Twitter actually announced yesterday that they are going to be giving additional data on those fake accounts to Elon Musk, and evidently there is a uh, interface program uh, they call it API, and, they, and that API for you techies out there, Toby. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.
And because yes. of that, Elon's going to get a lot of information here, which will help him strategize and move forward in this takeover. You will actually see Twitter bounce up. That would be a quick trade. I would look at for it uh, tomorrow, or I'm sorry, on uh, Monday. And then uh, going into the close of the quarter might be something to, to really get a, uh, a quick pop for you. I would um, actually hold on to, there's an ETF out there called, uh, the symbol is DIG, D-I-G. It's a ProShares uh, Ultra uh, Oil and Gas Sector Index uh, ETF. It's actually a leveraged ETF that covers all of the oil and gas uh, stocks that are out there. Uh, that's definitely one I would hold only because we've been so bullish on oil for so long. There's good reason for that. And I'm going to sell Target. The, the stock crossed 150. It did rebound a little bit. Uh, definitely well, well off. It's up. It's off over 30% this year. But with that little bump, if you haven't sold it already, take advantage of it and get out. Toby? All right. Well, I'm, I'm buying. Uh, I'm starting to nibble now on the best-of-class enterprise software as a service companies. Probably one of the top five is Workday, W-D-A-Y is the ticker symbol. Um, they're integrated into 160 of the, of the top 200 corporations in the world. You can't get rid of Workday. And what they're going to be doing is you know they're going to be doing at these low prices some acquisitions. So you can nibble at it. Again, I'm nibbling at the 50-day, 50 50-week, 50 I'm sorry, moving average. That's where we're finding support. You know, on, on hold, I'm still holding um, are, are the mortgage rates that we talked about because because as interest rates go up, some of these ones like we've talked about, uh, NRZ is particular, is ge generating 13, 14% yield and their values going up. And then selling, frankly, guys, on June, just a week ago, before, after before the show, oh, two weeks ago, we sold our energy, uh, all that uh, uh, part, because it Good went timing. straight up. These momentum people yeah. got into it. And we sold it because, you, you know, you can't buy a stock for $3 and it goes to $6 yeah. in three weeks and not sell it. So I'm waiting for, again, for oil and gas. I love dig, but I want it, again, to come down to the 50-a-week level. Justin, what's your buy, hold, sell this week? Well, I am nibbling on the big fang stocks. So I continue to like Google and Microsoft and Amazon and even Netflix. I think these are yep. representing good relative value. Definitely. I'm buying cybersecurity because enterprise spend is going to continue to be high. Um, I would invest in productivity stocks. If we're having labor hiring problems, we're going to invest in software, spot on Toby. And then I wouldn't mind being long Twitter around the 30, low 30 levels. There you um, go. 40 feels rich, <laughs> but Elon's going to negotiate and leverage this down a little bit. So maybe we see a deal at 35. I'm converting them, Toby. I'm converting them. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, you do a great job. You don't have to kiss his butt. We'll invite you back, okay? <laughs> well, well, he, he is down 30% from the last time he called Twitter, isn't he? Oh. That is true. You should feel sorry for me. <laughs> no, you, no, no, no. I love you, man. All right. Thanks, gentlemen, and thank you, everyone, for joining us on Buy, Hold, Sell for Tobin Smith, Todd Schoenberger, Justin Wine, Fernando Valley, and Nicole Middendorf. I'm your host, Veronica Dudo, wishing you a wonderful and safe weekend. We'll see you next week on Buy, Hold, Sell. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. 
We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.